Well, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word, uh, you could turn to that same, likely the same page, uh, but this time Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 57. Let me read for us verses uh, 57 uh, through 66 of Luke chapter 1. Would you hear God's holy word as it's read? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. A well-known Christian author uh, describes a moment of profound wonder and awe in Alaska's wilderness. He was driving down the road when he came upon a number of cars pulled off to the edge of the highway. And like any of us would have done, he stopped to see what everyone was looking at. Uh, The author describes the scene this way. Against the slate gray sky, the water of an ocean inlet had a slight greenish cast interrupted by small white caps. Soon I saw that they were not white caps at all, but whales silvery white beluga whales in a pod feeding no more than 50 feet offshore. I stood with the other onlookers for 40 minutes, listening to the rhythmic motion of the sea, following the graceful, ghostly crescents of surfacing whales. The crowd was hushed, even reverent. For just that moment, nothing else. Dinner reservations, the trip schedule, life back home, none of it mattered. We were confronted with a scene of beauty and a majesty of scale. We felt small. We strangers stood together in silence until the whales moved further out. Then we climbed the bank together and got in our cars to resume our busy, ordered lives that suddenly seemed less urgent. What does it mean to have a sense of wonder? Uh, To see something so amazing... Uh, that you can't help but pause and witness it. And you don't have an instinct to talk about it. You just want to take it in. We think about this time of year, and for those that uh, do celebrate or uh, go and and look at Christmas lights and the like, it's certainly a time where at least our children remind us what it means to see something and, and just simply be amazed at it, to marvel at it. My prayer for you this morning is as we look at this text, And we see how this text points ultimately to Jesus himself, to all the mighty things that God did and is doing. My prayer is that you would be able to marvel at his mighty works, that you would have a true sense of wonder 
uh, even as we look at what could be a familiar old story. And that really is the point of the message this morning, to marvel at his mighty works. Uh, to do that, we're going to look at three points, and you'll see the points are less points. They're, they're more just markers through the text. I want to take you through this text and let the text speak for itself. And so the first is simply this. Uh, each of these are quotes from the text. Number one, his name is John. His name is John. Let's look at the text that leads up to that moment uh, when Zechariah says this. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Now let's remember the context here. Uh, Luke has uh, started his gospel narrative by saying to Theophilus, and therefore to you uh, in the spirit, he's writing to you uh, today, and he wants them to have an account of all the mighty things that God has done among them. And he wants you to have certainty concerning them of all the things that Jesus did and taught. That's the purpose statement of the whole book of Luke, as Calvin helped us remember a few weeks ago. And then he starts with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah, a priest, one among many at the time. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, both of them older in age, unable to have a child. And this is who God comes to, if you remember. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah while he's on duty in the temple and promises him that he will have a son and his name will be called John. Uh, They miraculously have uh, this son, as we see in this passage. Now, what Luke is doing through Luke chapters 1 and 2 is he keeps telling you about John the Baptist, and then right after he tells you about Jesus. So uh, Gabriel comes and announces to uh, Zechariah, and then immediately after we have an account of Gabriel coming and announcing to Mary. And so these are parallel, but they're not equal. Uh, John is meant to be amazing, incredible. I mean, John's story is enough that we could wonder, right? Uh, 400 years of silence, and God breaks on the scene to raise up a prophet. But Luke knows that you know the rest of the story, and he's giving you the rest of the story about Jesus. If if John is incredible, amazing, uh, then what is this account of Jesus, who is not a prophet, but the Savior, And so we have this announcement from Gabriel to Zechariah. We have an announcement to Mary. Uh, And then we have Mary, sort of the stories collide. As last week we saw Mary coming and visiting Elizabeth, their relatives of some sort. Uh, The babies, uh, John jumps in the womb joyfully at Jesus' coming. And then we have Mary's Magnificat, as it has been called, uh, her this beautiful song of Mary. Uh, as she thinks of uh, all that God has done for her personally and for Israel collectively, for God's people. And that brings us then to our text, to this birth narrative of John the Baptist. Uh, and, and, And as we have that birth narrative of Jesus in our minds as well. Now the time came, and she gave birth, and she bore a son. And so you start to see a fulfillment of all the angel had said, right? Uh, The angel had said, you will conceive, you will give birth to a son. This is starting to happen. If you look back in chapter 1, verse uh, 13, this is when the angel gives these promises. And in chapter 1, verse 13, uh, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Look at what's being fulfilled here. As she conceived, that was already fulfilled. She has uh, this baby. This baby is a son. This is all being fulfilled. Even the joy that the angel talked about is starting to come to fruition. It says the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, 
and they rejoiced with her, right? Uh, think of, uh, this might have even been a giddy rejoicing. I mean, uh, think of the curiousness that we have about our neighbors, even when it's not things like this. Like, did they get more Christmas lights this year? Do they have a, did they get an extra blow up? I mean, they didn't even ask us, right? Uh, If we have that kind of curiosity, imagine this older couple in their old age, this priest, and they're having a son, and and, and the wife has talked about an angel that spoke to Zechariah. I mean, can can you imagine sort of the the giddy excitement, curiosity, and here joy, rejoicing because they recognize God had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoice with her. All of this is being fulfilled, but what about the name of the child? What about the name of the child? Because remember the angel said, his name will be John. And so as we keep going in the story, on the eighth day, they came to, circ- to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, uh, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Uh, now remember, Zechariah at this point is still unable to speak. Uh, something that happened is, as Zechariah showed some sense of uh, doubt uh, that all these things would be fulfilled, the angel of the Lord gave him a sign. Uh, you will not be able to speak until all of this is fulfilled. Uh, and so imagine, you know, nine months or more of this pregnancy. Um, maybe ladies out there are like, that would just be great if, uh, you know, I get pregnant and my husband cannot speak for nine months uh, until the baby is born. But in this case, imagine Zechariah, just this time of silence, this time of pondering all that the angel have said to him, this time of sort of reckoning with his own doubt uh, and, and coming to the Lord with it. Uh, but what this means here is uh, the, the relatives, the, the neighbors, they're, they're sort of, uh, you know, they're trying to help and they're saying, wait a minute, John doesn't make sense. I mean, that's not a family name. It would actually be more common for the grandfather's name to be given at this period of time. Uh, we don't know for sure, but perhaps they're, you know, feeling a little bit sorry for Zechariah. He's been unable to talk. Let's just name the baby after Zechariah um, and, and sort of give him that. Um, and, and so she says, no, he shall be called John, which tells you that Zechariah has been communicating with Elizabeth. She knows the whole story. Uh, she has faith that he is to be John and who uh, he shall be. Um, but it's interesting. They make signs to Zechariah inquiring, uh, which I think implies that he not only was unable to speak, but it seems that he was unable to hear as well, uh, that they would have to make signs to him. Um, and, and don't you love this, right? I mean, she says, no, his name is John. And they kind of are like, oh, that's great. Okay, Zechariah, like, what, what's the name of the child? <laughs> um, and so they hand him an iPad and he writes, his name is John. Imagine after all those months of silence, uh, he, it would actually be more of like a, a, a piece of parchment with wax on it uh, that he would uh, ascribe onto, and he writes, his name is John, or in the, in the Greek, it's, it's, uh, uh, the name John is right at the front of the sentence, John is his name. So what's the first sort of word that Zechariah communicates so directly? It's John, uh, which shows that he believed what the angel said. He now is on board with God's plan here. And it says they all wondered. They all wondered. And he begins to bless God. 
he begins to bless God. And of course, verses 68 through 79, as we sung those words, and we'll look at next week, we, this is that blessing that he gives of God and all that God has done. Uh, but it, it's so interesting as we come to this moment, his name is uh, John. You remember the parallel as we read in, in chapter 2 that uh, in, in verse 21, they called his name Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You see, that these are sort of these parallel fulfillments. The angel came and announced these things will happen. As they are fulfilled, this naming is significant. Uh, John has to do with God's grace, uh, but Jesus uh, means that God saves his people, right? And so his name is John. What a simple, quiet, humble act of obedience on the part of Zechariah. Right? Sometimes we think of obedience as being, and it is, these, these big, momentous things, but just that simple act of faith to say, no, his name is John, just as the angel said. And the people wonder. They marvel as we should as well. And so we get to the second point. What then will this child be? What then will this child be? As we saw, verse 64, his mouth is loosed. He praises God. Verse 65, fear comes on all the neighbors. And these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. Right? I mean, certainly the neighbors had some sense that an angel was involved. or I mean, their curiosity is, is beyond just that it was an older couple having a child, and now uh, that you know Elizabeth wants to name him John, Zechariah wants to name him John, they, they marvel at this, and, and now it sort of opens the door to say, maybe some of these other things that we've been hearing about this child are true. What then will this child be? Uh, we haven't seen anything like this. We haven't seen the hand of the Lord upon someone in such a way for so long. Who will this child be? Well, as we saw back in chapter 1, uh, let's put it this way, there's, a, there's a, a few different people who give answers to that question. Who will John be? The angel answers the question by saying, he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's the angel's answer that was given back in chapter 1. He's going to be this mighty prophet who will prepare the way for the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. If, if you look in the Old Testament, that's when God raises someone up, fills them with the Holy Spirit to do something profound in the redemptive plan of history. That's who John will be. That's the angel's answer. What's Zechariah's answer? If you glance over at uh, Zechariah's song, uh, the first part of it, verses 68 and on, is actually more about Jesus and we're going to look at that next week. But if you look at verse 76, he blesses his child, as it were, which would be fitting. I mean, the father would bless the firstborn. But look at what he says. This is his answer to the question, who then will this child be? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's Zechariah's answer. You will be a prophet of the Most High. And so what's Luke's answer? If you look over or just hear chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, it says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is, this is like the prophetic formula. Uh, the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to, enter name of prophet, uh, enter where they are or their family lineage, right? Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, go back to any of the prophetic books and you will see this formula. And so Luke is telling us, indeed, John, as he starts his ministry, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. Now we have a whole Bible full of prophets, but they had 400 years of silence uh, where they didn't know if God was going to raise up another prophet, like those of old. Now John is being raised up as a prophet. And he indeed goes proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, he quotes from Isaiah the, pro- Isaiah the prophet uh, to show his role. And then in verse 18 it says, So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. What's Luke's answer? Uh, his answer is that uh, John is this prophet raised up to prepare the way for the Lord. And the rest of Luke tells us that John was arrested by Herod. John was beheaded by Herod. And so he was, as it were, the first Christian martyr. That's the angel's answer. That's Zechariah's answer. That's Luke's answer. If we looked beyond the Gospel of Luke to the Gospel of John, and not John the Baptist writing the Gospel of John, but within, uh, within John's Gospel, John the prophet says this about himself. In, in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, it says, This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Right? So they're still asking, who, not just who will this child be, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So I, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Right? Remember Moses says, there will be a prophet who comes after me, who is like me. Listen to him. He says, no. And they said, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And again, he quotes Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That's John's own answer, who he is. What's Jesus' answer? What would Jesus say if people said, who's John? Who is John the Baptist? In Luke chapter 7, we have this account. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What's Jesus' answer? 
Jesus' answer doesn't diminish the greatness of John and his role. Jesus says that he, he indeed is the greatest of the prophets. And as we see, he's, as it were, the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, the, the role of the Old Testament prophets, as it were, is to prepare the way for the Messiah who would come, to call God's people back to repentance. Uh, Jesus doesn't diminish, but he says, no, John truly is great, as the angel had said. But we know that that's not the end of the story. Right? Do you remember those? They probably still have them, but uh, those old car commercials, you know, Christmas car commercials, and, and uh, you know, the one spouse would, would open up a little box, and they opened it up, and it was a car key to a brand new car, as if any of us have ever done that. Um, and, and the message is, you know, if you buy your spouse a car, you'll, you know, be happy forever. Um, imagine in that car commercial, if the spouse opened the key, and just like, oh, yes, a key. And they just cherish that key, and they put it on a necklace, and, um, and the spouse is like, look out the window. Um, no, the point of opening the key is that it points to something else. Uh, there's joy in opening the key, but it's just because the key belongs to a car. Uh, the car far surpasses the key in greatness. Uh, or indeed, uh, looking at um, uh, you know, receiving a letter from a loved one who's uh, been, uh, been on deployment for some time, there's joy in that. There's, you love reading that they'll be home soon, but what's more joyful but to see them at your doorstep? Or looking at an ultrasound is joyful, but to hold the baby in your arms is all the more great. We, we don't diminish the greatness of John and his role, that his very greatness was meant to terminate in the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His, he was the greatest of prophets of the Old Testament, but the content of his message was the word of God, Jesus Christ, who would come as a baby, laid in a manger, who would grow into a man who in his 30s would enter public ministry as John did, uh, who would preach repentance, who would preach that uh, people should enter the kingdom of God with all humility, putting their trust in their Savior, uh, who would obey to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what John has in mind. That's who this child will be. John was to be the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. Listen to what John says in John chapter 3. People come to him and say, this rabbi across the river is baptizing and ministering, and basically, aren't you going to stop him? I mean, he's sort of on your turf. Here's what John says. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is not the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That was John's, that was the termination of his joy, was to see Jesus increase and and John decrease. And isn't that to be the joy of the Christian life? (laughs) Uh, Lord, would you use my life in such a way that I would decrease and you would increase? And John paves the way as an example for us. Who then will this child be? He will be the final prophet, 
before the Messiah comes and offers salvation to all who believe in him. And so number three, it says, and they all wondered. And they all wondered. This, this word wonder or marvel or be astonished at is sort of all over Luke 1 and 2. Um, uh, the, the shepherds come and, and speak in Luke chapter 2, and it says they all wondered at what the shepherds told him. Uh, and then prophets speak to Joseph and Mary about Jesus, and it says that they marveled at what was said about him. That's the same word. And then when Jesus comes on the scene and begins to teach and preach, it says that they uh, all spoke well of him, and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And when Jesus calms the storm, it says they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? Uh, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Or at the end of his ministry, as, as he's, Jesus is risen again from the dead, it says, but Peter ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And we see the disciples also were marveling at all the things that have happened among them. You see, it's, it's not just the virgin birth. It's everything that God did through Jesus Christ, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his kingship now, we are to marvel. We're to be in awe of all the things that he has done. You know, I said that we often lose this sense of wonder, but our kids can remind us. Many evenings, Amy and I take the kids. There's, there's a cul-de-sac where sort of all the neighbors have conspired together to, to do amazing Christmas lights. Um, it's sort of like Cherry Lane, but like budget Cherry Lane, and, um, and, and we've been going there, you know, for five years, and, and, and even now the kids, they've seen it probably five times already, but it just mouth agape as we go through these amazing lights. I think kids remind us that we often grow so cold to the very things that God is doing among us, and yet we should have the mind of, of these people in the story who wonder, they rejoice, they fear, they talk, they ponder, they ask, that should be our posture, even this week. Uh, at the end of the service, we're going to sing that great his, Christmas hymn, What Child Is This? That's what they're asking about John, uh, and, and we ask it about Jesus as we wonder. Let me read some of the words from that song. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud or praise, the babe, the son of Mary. And, and, and that amazing verse later on, nails, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. This is what we wonder at, the, the mighty works of the Lord. And as we prepare in a moment to take of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? But we're remembering the mighty works of the Lord. Uh, we are remembering. We're also proclaiming the mighty works of the Lord. Jesus said, you proclaim my death until I come when you partake of this meal uh, together. And so let's enter even into this time of communion with a sense of wonder at what God has done. And then as he sends us back into our busy, ordered lives, they might seem less urgent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you that your word is truth, that it is faithful. Uh, Lord, that you spoke through Luke and, and bring these words to us that we would see the, uh, the mighty things that you have done. I pray that our faith would be strengthened this morning, uh, now from the preaching and, and in a moment from a partaking of the Lord's Supper together. How would we approach that by faith in the Spirit? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.